Okay, at first I want to read two verses from the Bible. One is from the book Isaiah, chapter 40. There you read in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And this verse is so important that it is quoted in the New Testament in the first epistle of Peter. You can read the same sentence in 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Verse, yes, verse 23, being born again, and then by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So, so this word is so important that the Holy Spirit quoted it in the New Testament. And that is the topic on this evening, to say something about the inspiration and the canon of the Bible. So that means, um, how can we be sure that the 66 books of the Bible are the books which God gave us? And how can we be sure that these books contain the word of God? So the first question is the canon of the Bible. And the second question is the inspiration of the Bible. I want to start with the canon. But at first I want to give a short overview um, about this wonderful book. So I called it our wonderful Bible. And there you see a lectionar from the 12th century AD. So that is a very old book and lectionar means um, you have the original Bible text, but um, it is not the same order as in our Bible but the order are some, some special topics on every Sunday. So it is the, the normal biblical text, but the order is not the same one as in our Bible. It is handwritten in Greek language. So the questions are, how do we know that the whole Bible is God speaking? Because that is a very important question. So the question is, do we find the word of God in the Bible, or is the whole Bible the word of God? That is not the same, because if we say we find the word of God in the Bible, we need somebody who is saying us which chapters are from God, and in which chapters do we find the word of God, and in which chapters we don't find the word of God. But if we say that the whole Bible is the word of God, we don't have this question. So it is very important, uh, again, if the whole Bible or only parts of the Bible are from God. I personally think that the whole Bible is from God. And then the question is, isn't the Bible just another religious book? And I will say no, because I would never say the Bible and other religious books. I would say the Bible and religious books. Because if I say the Bible and other religious books, 
then I say that the Bible is only a religious book. But I think the Bible is the word of God. And that is not the same because um, if somebody is speaking about religion, religion means something what, what man is doing. Something what man is doing to, um, to go to God. But the Bible said that uh, our God sent down his son Jesus Christ and that he did everything for us on the cross. So there is a, that is a very important question. Uh, is the Bible just another religious book or is the Bible only the word of God? I have some very important verses there, but we will speak about them later. So the Old Testament is not only one book. I think everybody who is sitting here uh, knows this, that we have 39 books, which are the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is not written in, in one year. It, it is written in a time fence of around about 1,100 years. So that means from 1,500 up to 400 before Christ. And the New Testament contains 27 books. In our counting, that's very important because uh, that is the same for the Old Testament because if you ask uh, the Jewish people, they will tell you we have 22 books. But it is important that these are the same books because the Jewish people count uh, the five books of Psalms as one book. Also the books uh, Samuel to, to Second Kings is one book. And also the 12 minor prophets is only one book uh, by the Jewish people when, when they count uh, the books of the Bible. So in the New Testament we have 27 books and it is written in, in a time of 50 years from around about 55 AD up to 100 AD. And the last writings of the New Testaments are the writings of John. So we think at first the book of Revelation, then his three epistles, and at the end the Gospel of John. But we don't know this exactly, but we know that they were written at the end of the first century. So altogether the Bible has 66 books and more than 40 writers wrote the Bible. We don't know the exact number because we don't know who wrote a lot of psalms, for example. So we don't have the exact numbers of the people who wrote the Bible. But the people were very different. Yes, there were kings, statesmen, fishermen, poets, scholars, shepherds, tax collectors, and so on. And also they wrote in different places. Some in the wilderness, other in, in a palace, in prison, and so on. And uh, we have also different environments like war or peace. And on three continents, the Bible was written in Asia, in Africa, in Europe. And altogether, we have three languages. So I think everybody knows that the New Testament is written in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew. But some parts of the Old Testament are written in Aramaic. We don't know exactly why, 
but we know that there are some passages, some, some, some chapters, some, some verses in the book of Daniel, which is written in, in, in Aramaic language. So altogether we have three different languages in the Bible. Above you see a Torah scroll. That is a very interesting thing. This one is handwritten. It is around about 500 years old. It's from the Russian area. And two scribes need around about three years to write a scroll like this. And they have to copy every letter. It is not allowed to write a word or a sentence out of mind. They have to copy every letter. And if they don't do this, they have to write everything again. Also, if they put one mistake on this scroll, they have to write the whole scroll again. And that is the reason why the Old Testament is the best copied book in the world. There is no other book which is copied in such a perfect way than the Old Testament. And that shows me personally that our God is watching this. But today the question is not how do they copy the Bible. The question is how can we be sure that, for example, the five books of Moses are from God and that, that it was the will of God that we have these five books of Moses. Why is there not one book too much? So somebody can think four books are enough. Or perhaps there are six books. So how do we know that four books are not enough, that we need the five books? And how do we know that there is not one book missing? And that is the question of the canon of the Bible. And it is also a question of uh, the inspiration of the Bible. It is very interesting that we have in the Bible more than 300 prophecies which are fulfilled. So that makes the Bible provable and you can see or you have an evidence that the Bible is the word of God because nobody from us knows what will happen tomorrow. Yes, and we don't know what will happen next week or next month or next week. But in this book we have more than 300 fulfilled prophecies. And sometimes the time fence is more than thousand years in future. So when the people wrote these things, it was for them, for, for them in future. But from our view, the things happened. And so we can prove if they happened as it is written in the Bible or not. And the answer is clear. We have 300 fulfilled prophecies in the same way as they are mentioned in the Bible. And that shows me that the Bible is the word of God. Now we, came to the, now we come to the first point, and that is the canon of the Bible. So the word canon is a technical word. And you find this word in the, in the canon, which you can see on the picture. Yes, because uh, the Greek word at first has nothing to do with the canon of the Bible. The meaning of the Greek word is read or rod 
or rule or straight rod. So that is the meaning of the Greek word. And you find it twice in the Bible. But it, 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 it doesn't have the meaning of um, um, and the canon of the Bible in the Old or in the New Testament. So one example is from um, Ezekiel chapter 14, 40 verse 3. There you find the word canon, the Hebrew word, you find it here. It's a measuring reed. So, and he brought me, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, with a line of flax in his hand, and a measuring reed. And that is the Hebrew word canon. Canon, and he stood in the gate. So that was something with which you can measure the length of a wall or the length of a, of a door entrance. That is the meaning of this word. And then you find it also in Galatians chapter, chapter 6. And as many as walk according to this rule. And there you have the Greek word. And so the meaning is, is rule. It, it, it is something like uh, what tells you how to do something. So that is uh, the, the meaning of this Greek word. Peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. So, so here it is translated with rule. And, as a, as, and, and a couple of hundred years later, it becomes the meaning of the canon of the Bible. So that means of the uh, summary of the books which um, 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 co contains or, or which are in the Bible. So that is from the end of the 4th century. It was applied to a list or collection of books. And um, the first one was Athanasius, which used the word for the books of the Bible. So from the end of the 4th century, the meaning of canon changed. And then the meaning was... These are the books given by God, which are the Bible. So the 66 books which we have in the Bible. And that is the meaning today. Now the canon refers to the closed collection of Jewish, the Old Testament, and early Christian writings, that is the New Testament, that constitute divinely inspired authoritative. So that is the meaning of canon today. And now again the question is, which books belong to the canon? And what is with uh, the epigraphs and the pseudepigraphs which you find in some Bibles? So at first you want to say something about the canon of the Old Testament. It is very interesting that the Old, in, that the Old Testament is divided into three parts. You find this also in the New Testament, in Luke 24, because there the Lord Jesus spoke about himself and that you can find him in every book in the Old Testament. And in this verse, he divided the Old Testament into three parts. And that is the same what the Jewish people did in that time and they are doing this today. So the three parts are at first the Torah. That is very easy to understand. Torah is a Hebrew word and means the law. 
and you find the law in the five books of Moses, because it is mentioned to the law of Sinai. So these are the five books of Moses, are the Torah, and you saw the Torah scroll a couple of minutes ago on the, on the picture which I show you. So a Torah scroll is round about 55 up to 50 meters long. Yes, because all the five books of Moses are on this scroll. And again, if you do one mistake, you have to write everything again. And not only you, also your colleague. Yes, and you can explain him how he has to write everything again because you did a mistake. Okay, so that is good for the friendship between them. Yes, but that is the, the law, the rule, which they have to, to do when they write a biblical text. The other one are, are the prophets, or Nevi'im in Hebrew. And perhaps you are a little astonished because some of the prophetic books are missing, which we count in our Bible as a prophetic book, like the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is not a prophetic book by the Jewish people. By the Jewish people, it is um, a, just a writing, a historical or a poetic book. So again, the order in the Hebrew Bible is totally different than in our Bible, than in your English or in my German Bible. Yes, all, all our Bibles start with Genesis and they end with Malachi. Malachi, what do you say, Malachi? Okay, um, but the Hebrew Bible is much easier for me. They start with Genesis, but they end with Second Chronicles. So all the other books are between these two. That is important for an argument which we have later. So we have Joshua, Judges, First Samuel to Second Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the twelve minor prophets, and then we have the writings. So the historical and the poetic books, very often they are only named psalms because the psalms are the biggest group in this, in this group. So you see they have the psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ruth, yes, and you see the order is total other than in our book. Okay, and Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Esther and Daniel, we have it here, Ezra, Nehemiah, and First and Second Chronicles. Don't ask me why they put First and Second Kings to the prophetic book and the First and Second Chronicles to the historical book. I don't know why, but the Jewish people are doing this. And that was also uh, um, in the time of the Lord Jesus. We will see this later. The basic guideline is the prophetic origin of the Old Testament. So that means in every book of the Old Testament, you find a prophetic view about the Lord Jesus. And that there is no book in the Old Testament where you don't have this view. It is very important if there is a book which don't have a prophetic view on the Lord Jesus then the Jewish people would never count it as a biblical book. So that is so important. And we know from the New Testament that the, the center of all the Old Testament prophecy is the man, Jesus Christ, in the center of his creation. And that everybody 
has to give glory to him. So, so that is the center of the prophecy of the Old Testament, which you find in all the books of the Old Testament. So that is so important that you have the prophetic origin, which is mentioned in Deuteronomy 18. So now we go to the New Testament, and, and in the New Testament we have some interesting verses which are connected with the Old Testament. The first one is, which I mentioned a couple of minutes ago in Luke 24, because there you read that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. So that is the first group of the Hebrew books. Then in the prophets, that is the second group of the of the. Um, um, Jewish um, 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 yeah, um, um, Bible, Old Testament. And then you have the third, third group, the Psalms. And these are the writings. So the historical and the poetic books. So our Lord Jesus used the same sections of the Hebrew canon as you find it in the Old Testament today, in the Jewish Bible, and as you find it, no, I will say today, we don't have the same order, but we have the same books. Another very important passage is from Matthew 23 or from Luke 11. Because uh, in this verse, the Lord Jesus uh, spoke about the first and the last martyr of the Old Testament. And that is very interesting because he spoke about Abel. And Abel you find in Genesis. And that was the first mature in the Bible. And the last one you have in Second Chronicles. And that is Zechariah, which I have on this verse. Yeah, the Lord Jesus refers to the first and to the last martyrs. And then you can read the verse from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. So the Lord Jesus makes clear that the canon of the Old Testament was fixed in his time. So there is no space for the epigraphs which the Catholic Church put on the Old Testament at the end of the medieval age. Because from these verses it is absolutely clear that the 39 books which we have today or the 22 books, as they counted by the Jewish people, are the books of the Old Testament. There's nothing missing, and there's not uh, too much. So these are the books. And then it is very interesting, because the Lord Jesus had a lot of discussions with the um, um, rulers of, of the Jewish people. But there was no discussion about the question um, um, the, um, um, of the canon of the Old Testament. So in the time of the Lord Jesus, it was absolutely clear which books belonged to the Old Testament and which books didn't belong to the Old Testament. So there was no discussion about that. Then it is interesting that from the 39 books of the Old Testament, 29s are quoted. So we have a lot of citations in the New Testament from Old Testament 
books. So Jesus confirms the divine authority and inspiration of the entire Hebrew canon. Again, there was no discussions between the Lord Jesus and the religious leaders about the canon of the Old Testament. And uh, of the 39 books in the Old Testament, 29 are quoted in the New Testament. And then we have New Testament refers to Old Testament as the word of Scripture. So in the New Testament, you find the word Scripture. And the word Scripture in the New Testament is connected to Old Testament books, mostly when it is used in the plural form. Very seldom the writers used the singular form, the scripture. And then very often the, book of the, New, the books of the New Testament are connected with the books of the Old Testament and they were set on the same level. I will give you an example for this later from 1 Timothy 5. That is very interesting because there the Apostle Paul quotes a verse from the Old Testament and from the New Testament and the leading verses are not the scriptures are saying but the scripture says. And then he quotes from the Old and from the New Testament. So there God makes it clear that the New Testament and the Old Testament, they are on the same level. So if the Old Testament is inspired by God, then the New Testament must be inspired by God too. Because if not, it would be impossible to set both parts from the Bible on the same level. And so I give you some of the examples where you find the word scripture in the New Testament. We don't have time to read them all, but let's go to the last one here in Matthew 26, verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures, and now he said not the scriptures of the whole Old Testament, but that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And the Lord Jesus said this very often, that he did this or that, because the scriptures of the Old Testament must be fulfilled. And in this special case, it belongs to the scriptures of the prophets. We can go to John 7, verse 38. That is also an interesting verse. There you read, but this, where is it, 38? He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So again, that is so important to believe in the Lord Jesus, not only as we find him in the New Testament, but also as we find him in the Old Testament. 
And we have a lot of examples in the Old Testament where we find something about the Lord Jesus. Go to Genesis 22, when Abraham and Isaac go to Moriah. And when Abraham uh, um, 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 carried the, um, the fire and, uh, and the sword, and Isaac uh, carried the wood, Yes, and then they went to the, to the area of Moriah and then Abraham uh, um, um, sacrificed his son. That is an outstanding picture of God who sacrificed his son on the cross and so on. And I will show this later on the on on, on Bible for the poor. So a Bible for the poor is a, is a, is a colored Bible. Now, there's no text in it because the, the poor people, poor means not, not uh, poor because they have no money. Poor means poor in their mind because they were unable to speak Latin in the medieval age. And all the people who, who, who didn't speak Latin, they, they were called the poor people. So poor in their mind and for them they, they made uh, uh, colored Bibles. So you have fantastic pictures. And in all these Bibles, you find the prophecy of the Old Testament. Because on every page, they, they put a story of the Old Testament. And on the right side of this story, they put the story of the New Testament. So the fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament. And so there you can see that there are a lot of prophetic um, um, chapters in the Old Testament which speak about the Lord Jesus. So again, it is so important to understand that we find the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. And if you do this, then you are connected with the living waters. You find it also in the Acts of the Apostles. So there the Apostles speak about the Old Testament. And you find it also in, in a lot of verses in the New Testament epistles. So again... We have to understand that we have a, very often the word scripture or scriptures in the New Testament and that it is a connection to the scriptures in the Old Testament. And again, God put the Old and the New Testament on the same level. But then we have also extra-biblical notes. Because if I give you or show you only evidences from the Bible, somebody would say to me, oh, that is very interesting, but that is not an evidence for me because I don't believe in the Bible. So it is necessary to have some extra-biblical notes which show us the same thing. And we find this. There is the book of Sirah. Oh, that is an apocryphal book. So that is not a biblical book. But in this book, you find um, the three groups of the Old Testament. Because there you read, he speaks of the law, the prophets, and the others. Or the writings. So again, the name of the third group can differ. Sometimes it is only the Psalms. Again, the Psalms are the biggest book in this group. Sometimes they call it the writings. Sometimes they call the group the historical group. And sometimes they named it the poetic groups. 
So we have different names of it, and here you read only the others. Perhaps he didn't know which name he, he, he wanted to use, and he said only others, but you find the, the three groups. In Qumran, where we find the oldest manuscripts of the Old Testament, not the original ones, of course not, but the oldest copies of the Old Testament, we find something from every book of the Old Testament except the book of Esther. We don't know why. It could be that the Jewish people had some problems with the book of Esther in that time because you don't read the name of God in this book. And you don't find the expression, the Lord is saying, or Yahweh is saying, or as God is saying. This, these expressions are missing in the book of Esther. For the Jewish people, it is clear that the book of Esther must be a book of God because God is acting in the background in this book. If you read this book, you will find God, how he is acting in this book. But it could also be that uh, the, the, the scrolls of the book of Esther are gone. Yes, because um, we find around about 80,000 fragments from 200 scrolls. Yes, because they were hidden there for around about 2,000 years. And the air is very salty because of the Death Sea, which is directly in this area. Yes, and so more than 95% of the findings um, are only fragments, yes, because they are all disturbed. It's because of the salty air and because of the long time um, um, how they were hidden in this area. So we don't know exactly why the book Esther is missing there. But from all the other books of the Old Testament, we find something. Yes, but then a word of Flavius Josephus, a historical writer, is very interesting. And he wrote this after 70 AD. We don't know exactly when he wrote it. Yes, but there he said, we do not have... 10,000 books that contradict each other, but only 22 books that contain the records of all times and are recognized as divine. That you read in, uh, by Flavius Josephus. That is very interesting. And there you find the number 21. And again, if you take a Jewish Bible, you will find 22 books because some books are connected or linked together. Yes, and so the number is, is not so high, but they have the same books, the same volume. That is important. So, so Flavius Josephus wrote in the time around about 60, 70 AD, that is perhaps 40 years after the, the, the life of Jesus Christ. Yes, and there he, he again, he, he, he gives us an evidence yes, that there were only these books in the Old Testament which we have today. The same is by Bishop Melito. He, he gave us also a list of the books 170 AD. 
Okay, now we came to the, we come to the to the canon of the New Testament. And from the canon of the New Testament, it is no, not so easy to give, to give evidences that uh, this canon is complete today because we have no divine book after the New Testament. Okay, so, it, so it must be clear that uh, the writings of John are the last books of the New Testament. And after this, we have no other or new divine book of the Bible. So not the book of Mormons or other books which are used today. Because the Bible sh shows us, and also the New Testament, that everything is written, or was written in that time. So, so the basic guideline is not so much the prophetic character, Because in the New Testament we have not so much prophetic character because the Lord Jesus was on earth. And the Gospels described the life of Jesus Christ on earth. And the letters, yeah, they do nearly the same and they, and, and they give us uh, the teaching of the church of God. And in the book of Revelation you have some prophecy Yes, but that is not only the prophecy about the Lord Jesus. Of course, he is mentioned uh, in the prophecy and the prophecy is linked with him. But you have also the prophecy about all the people who don't believe in God and you have the prophecy about the millennium and uh, the time of tribulation and all these things. Yes, but the other books in the New Testament are not really prophetic books. So the basic guideline is not so much that it is a prophetic book, but the basic guideline that it is written by an apostle or by somebody who is linked to an apostle. And because we have no apostles today, that's very clear because of the scriptures of the New Testament, so it is clear that there is no book in the Bible today. So the 27 books of the Old Testament are the, uh, of the New Testament are the canon of the New Testament. S so we have Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, but he is associated with Peter. We find this in the first book of Peter, in the last chapter. We have Luke, but he is associated with Paul, because they traveled together. You can read this in the book of Acts. Then we have the epistles, Paul, Peter, Jude, James, John, and then the author of Hebrews, and we don't know exactly who it was. It could be Paul, it could be another writer, we don't know. But they are connected together. And then we have the Revelation, and that is written again from, of, from John. So we see all the books of the New Testament were written by apostles or by people who are connected with them or by people who worked together with them. And that is a, an important uh, um, basic guideline to understand if, if, the book, if a book belongs to the New Testament or not. So the epigraphs. And the pseudepigraphs, I will show later what it is, they couldn't be a part of the New or Old Testament because these writers are not linked with the apostles. 
So they had the idea to choose names of disciples of the Lord Jesus. So that is the reason why we have the Gospel of Thomas. Because Thomas was a disciple of the Lord Jesus. You can read this in, in, in John, in the Gospel of John. And that is a pseudepigraph because the writer of this book was not named John. He had another name, we don't know. But he gave himself the name John. And then he published this book, no, Thomas, sorry. And then, and then he published this book under the name of Thomas. And so everybody thought, oh, that is a man who was linked to the apostles. Then it must be a book of the New Testament. And that is the meaning of the pseudepigraphs, written under another, under a wrong name, to make a book older and to connect a book with an apostle. So that is a very important thing. Another problem which we have um, by the Old Testament, if one book after the other was written, God told Moses at first, after you wrote this book, you have to store it by the Ark of the Covenant. So that means that all the biblical books of the Old Testament, they had to store in the area of the temple. So all the books were in the same place. And everybody from the Jewish people had a chance to, to go to this place and to take one of these books or scrolls and to read them. But this is not the situation in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, the Gospels and the um, Epistles were written to different persons and to different places. So then the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to Rome. He sent it to Rome, but not to the believers in, 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 in Colossians or, or, or in Thessalonians or wherever. So when this epistle came to Rome, they read it and then they had to copy it. And this copy they sent to the neighbor church or assembly and so on. And today we know that it takes around about 30 up to 70 years that a letter or a gospel was copied and to send in all the other churches, which churches places which we had in that time. So, so the problem was th that on the day when the letters of Rome was written, not every believer has this letter. It was only in Rome. And that is a total other situation than in the time of the Old Testament. And the other thing is, and we don't have this uh, by the Jewish people, that false teachers appeared very early and we know of false teachers at the end of the first century AD and also there were a lot of in the second century AD. So again, that is a small example. Um, Paul, Peter, Matthew, Luke, they wrote letters or gospels and they send it to different places and to different addresses. So that is the fact. 
And these are only some examples, uh, because uh, Paul's letter to the uh, Corinthians is missing, and so on. I only want to put some on this paper. And after they, the people got the epistle or the gospel, they copied it, and then they sent it to every other place. We don't know how, how did it work. Yes, and we don't know how, how, how they did it. But we know that they did it, and we know that it took some time. We have a very important information in, in Colossians 4, verse 16, there Paul wrote, No, then this epistle, so the epistle to the Colossians, is read among you. See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. So that means when you got the letter to the Colossians from my personal hand, read it, copy it, and send it to the neighbor place. And then again, the people in, in Laodicea, what is it in English, in Laodicea, um, they have to, again, they have to read it, they have to copy it, they have to send it to the neighbor place, and so on. And then he said, I also wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. Get a copy and read it. Perhaps they did, we don't know, because we don't have the letter. I think it was an important letter which Paul wrote, but it was not the inspired word of God. And so this letter was not um, put into the canon of the Bible. So that is a short overview. I'm sorry, these are the, the names in German. I used this for, for a German presentation. He, here you find the name of the abbreviations, which you find here. So perhaps here's Clement of Rome. Here's Ignatius of Antioch. Antioch is in Asian, and uh, Rome is in Europe. And you can see 95 AD, Clemens von Rome didn't know all the writings of the New Testaments because a lot of them were not sent to his place and so he didn't know them. A couple of years later by Ignatius of Antioch you see a lot of more writings of the New Testament were spread in, in different places. And so on you find this here by, what is this, Polycarp of Smyrna, that is also in Minor Asia. He had a lot of other books which he know, and, and so on. And you can see the list uh, completed um, anymore, uh, every more. So that is uh, um, the fact in this situation, uh, in this time. So, um, before the break, I want to speak about another important fact um, about the canon, because the question is, um, how do we get the canon? And we have two different views. One view is the liberal theological point of view. Uh, they don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. Yeah, they think the Bible is a word which is very interesting, written by humans, and sometimes you find something about of God, but not more. 
Yes, they don't think that the Bible is the word of God. And sometimes they don't think that the Lord Jesus lived on earth and that he died and that there was a um, resurrection and so on. So, so they are teaching today, it, it is a long development process. And the first uh, time when the canon was established, that was at the end of the fourth century. And then they um, 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 discussed the books. So some of the books were undisputed, like the Gospels. But other books, uh, they don't want to ex uh, um, accept, like the Epistle of the Hebrews or Revelation. And some of them are, are discarded. And then we have a lot of synods and councils, and then they taught or teach today and that there the canon was finally fixed. So that is their idea. So everything is made by humans. That is the summary of this. No God, only humans. The other view is the Bible view. And then the inspired writings were immediately accepted. And God worked in the receiver. So God didn't work only in the writers and not only in the copyist, but God also worked in the receivers. That is a very important point and gave the order for collecting the books. You find this in Exodus or in Deuteronomy, for example. And then God makes sure that uninspired Bible books did not enter the canon of Scripture, like the epistle of Paul, which he wrote to the Laodiceans. It was an interesting epistle, but it was not the inspired word of God. And so God took care that it was not in the canon of the scripture, that it didn't enter the canon of scripture, even if well-known Bible book authors had written them. For example, the Apostle Paul. Thus, the letter mentioned in Colossians, letter from Laodicea, and the letter mentioned in the third letter of John to the assembly are not preserved. So there we have two examples of two letters, and we see how God took care about his book, about the Bible, and about the books who are the canon of the Bible. So you can see this on this um, 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 picture. So this is the liberal theological point of view. There are different books. And there are synods and councils. And in the synods or in the councils, there are people. And the people read the books. Oh yes, this book is interesting. That could be a book of the Bible. Okay, it is a book of the Bible. Oh, the teaching of this book is not so good for me. So I think it is better that it is not a book of the Bible. Okay, it is not a book of the Bible. And so only humans... Are, are, are speaking about the books and they say yes and no. So if you believe this, then you accept only the authority of the council of, or of a synod 
or you accept only the authority of humans and not the authority of God. And so you have the biblical view. And the biblical view started with God. And you see in this picture, or in this part of the picture, God is missing. It's because they don't need God for this theory. It's the same like evolution. If you believe in evolution, you don't need God. If you need God and if you believe in God, you can't believe in evolution. There are only two possibilities. And here's the same. If you believe in God, you can't believe in the liberal theological point of view. Or you don't accept God and then this is your only possibility to understand how we got the Bible. For me it's much easier to believe on the right side of the picture and it has started with God. And that there were books which are inspired. Of course there were synods and councils, but there the people didn't say this book belongs to the Bible, this book belongs not to the Bible. They saw the 27 books of the New Testament and they agree, that's all. They didn't do any more. Yes, we have the papers of some of the councils and some of the synods. And where we can find this? They had the list with the books and they only agree. There was no discussion and nothing. So that is the biblical view. Because they understand these books have authority. And because they have godly or the divinely authority, they must be inspired. And then they are a part of the Bible, so they are the canon of the Bible. And then it is fantastic because we accept the scripture authority. Because we find in the scripture, we find uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. And because we find the work of the Holy Spirit, we understand that the source of these books is God. And so we find God in this book. So if we accept the canon of the Bible in that way, we have not only the authority in the scriptures, we also find the authority of God. And that is so important. So for me, that is the only understanding how do we get the canon. It's the same like evolution or creation. I can't give you any uh, 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 mathematical evidence for this. But the most facts speak this language, that it is the work of God and not that it is the work of humans. So the statements of the liberal theological view, it took centuries for a Bible book to be canonical. Because that is the only way to understand the left picture. We only know the divine origin of the Bible through the authority of the councils. <coughs> it is conceivable that even today God gives us inspired scriptures through new revelations. That is the theory uh, of, of the modern theological uh, people. But what did the Bible say about that? That's very interesting. We find answers of all of these three questions in the Bible. Yeah, but uh, these people are not so interesting in this because they don't accept the Bible. 
Well, that is so crazy. They, 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 they try to explain us how do we get, how do we get the Bible, but they didn't accept the Bible. So they're unable to understand how God worked. Look, it took centuries for a Bible book to be canonical. No. Go to Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. And now he explained what does he mean with books. The number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to aha uh -huh, Jeremiah. And the book of Daniel was written 20 years after the book of Jeremiah. So it didn't take hundreds of years if somebody accepted a biblical book. It is only 20 years. 20 years after the book of Jeremiah was written, Daniel said, these are the words of God. Go to the New Testament. There's only one, one verse where the New Testament quote the New Testament. There's only one example, and that is in 1 Timothy 5. I mentioned this in the beginning of the lecture. For the scripture says, and now comes the words of the Old Testament, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treeth out the corn. That is the end of the words of the Old Testament. And, and now comes the citation of the New Testament of Luke 10. The laborer is worthy of his reward. And again, the beginning is this scripture, singular form, says. So he put the Old and the New Testament on the same level. If the Old Testament is the word of God, then the New Testament must it be too. That is the meaning of this verse. And when did Paul White wrote this? Five years roundabout after Luke. So it took only five years that God shows us that other people accepted the gospel of Luke as the word of God, as an inspired book of God. So that is so important to understand. We only know the divine origin of the Bible through the authority of councils. No, that is a total misunderstanding of the facts. Here, cause an effect are confused. A book is not canonical because it was accepted, but because it is canonical, it was accepted. So that is the total other way. And that is the understanding of the, of the history of the Bible and of the origin of the Bible. They don't want to understand this. But I hope that everybody who is sitting here will understand this. Because that is the way of God. And the last point, um, it is conceivable that even today God gives us inspired scriptures through new revelations. No. Paul wrote to the Colossians that he had become a servant of the congregation to complete the word of God in the light of new divine revelations. And after the writings of Paul, of course, we got the writings of John. But they have now, now new revelations. There are very interesting things in these books. 
And all these books are from God, but we, we, we don't have new revelations in these books, which we don't have in the scriptures before. So the Apostle Paul wanted to say after his writings, we have no new divine revelations. He completed the word of God. And Peter wrote, moreover, I will, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. He didn't say that he will look for new apostles, that they write some additional books of the Bible. He said everything is written and you have to read it and to remember it, but not to write new things. So the New Testament makes absolutely clear that uh, the canon of the Old and of the New Testament was fulfilled after the last book of the New Testament, the writings of John, were written. We have some extra biblical notes. Um, the most important perhaps is the Muratorian canon. There we find all the books of the New Testament, but it is a fragment with some holes. And the space in the holes is so big that you can put the missing names on it. So if you do this, you have all the 27 books in the Old Testament, in the New, from the New Testament. If you don't want to do this, you have 24 of the 27 books of the New Testament and three holes on it. So that is... Uh, um, 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 the Muratorian uh, fragment or canon, and that is a very interesting paper. Of course, in the Synod of Carthage, or that is in, in, in Tunisian, at the end of the 4th century, they decided the 27 books, which are the New Testament. So now somebody can say, oh, that is totally different what you taught us before. But the next um, um, picture will show you what they did on this signet. On this signet, you find it here, that is uh, uh, Italy, and here you have uh, the, the northeastern part of Tunisia. At the signet of Carthage, uh, at the end of the 4th century, the 27 books of the New Testament are only formally and officially confirmed as canonical, thus recognizing three centuries of use by followers of Christ. So they didn't do any other thing than to say, yes, these 27 books, which the Christian used the last 300 years, they are really the canon of the New Testament. So they didn't decide from 50 books, we take these 27. They only said these books, which the Christian people used in the last 300 years, they are really the word of God. Now we can make a break. And after this, I will explain you why this was so important in that time. I don't know how does it work with the break.